You know, I have a confession to make. Uh, prayer can be difficult. Do you feel this way? Prayer can be so challenging sometimes. So have you ever gone to a prayer meeting and you get put in one of those prayer circles, you know, with a bunch of people that you don't actually know, and you're sitting there and you're just thinking about, okay, what am I going to pray? And you're going in turn, and so it's coming around this way, and you know that you're going to be up pretty soon, and you're trying to figure out, oh, what am I going to pray? What am I going to pray? What am I going to pray? And you start thinking about it, and you kind of write your script in your mind a little bit, and you're like, okay, that's good. That's good. Ooh, they're going to like that. This is going to be good. And then the guy right before you, He prays everything that you wanted to pray. And now you're sweating because you're like, he took all my stuff. What in the world am I going to say? I have no idea. Have you experienced this? It's terrifying. And then we do weird things when we pray sometimes. Like, have you experienced the person that just really calls out to God the Father and they say something like this? Dear Lord, Father God, I just pray right now, dear Lord, Father God, that you would come and help us, Father God, dear Lord God. You've experienced this. It's so weird. Like, why do we say that? I mean, My kids don't come to me and say, hey, dad, dear dad, wonderful dad, oh, dad. I was wondering if we could go to the park, dear dad, old dad. They don't ever say that. Why do we do this? And we have weird sayings like, "Um, God, would you give them your traveling mercies? What's a traveling mercy? I don't even understand what this is. But worst of all, you're in that circle and you're holding hands with people and they're sweaty and you just want to let go. It is absolutely a nightmare. And then there's this weird thing that we all do. At the very end of the prayer circle, we just kind of give a nice little squeeze to everybody's hand at the end. You know what I'm talking about? It's that squeeze. Finished. And then you move on with your night. It's very weird. I just think the prayer can be challenging for us. So when I say the word prayer, what comes to mind for you? Some of you probably think of nice little sweet old grandmas somewhere in a basement drinking Folgers, like praying for their wayward grandson. Some of you think that well, it's that thing that real Christians do and that thing that uh, I'm not very good at. It's the thing that I know that I should do, but I don't do it because I don't feel like I'm good at it. And essentially, I'm a miserable failure as a Christian. You know, when we look through the scriptures, it just seemed like Jesus prayed, like a lot. In fact, in Luke 5, 15 through 16, it's just one example. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, and he prayed. So as often as you read this, it just seems like like he didn't hate it. In fact, it kind of seems like Jesus really enjoyed being with his father. But if we're honest, for most of us, that is not how this goes. For most of us, prayer is boring. There's condemnation attached to it. It's, it's, It's covered up in like guilt and shame for how bad we are. For others of us, it's a, like a religious duty that we feel like we have to do. I know I should, it's just that mostly I don't. And when we do pray, we go for it. I get inspired, I'm ready, and I start praying, and I pray for everything I can possibly think of. And then I look at my watch, and it's been two minutes and 30 seconds. Or I just pick up my phone, I scroll Instagram, and I'm off to the rest of the day. It's hard, and yet something within us still craves this, right? Like everybody, Jesus follower or not, we all have this thirst to connect with the divine. St. Augustine said it like this. He said, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. Truth is, prayer is the primary way that we connect with God. Most people will say, well, prayer is just, it's easy. It's just talking to God. Prayer is just when you talk to God. But more accurately, I would say, well, prayer is more like just talking with God. 
In fact, on a more basic level, you might say prayer is life with God. Author and pastor Paul Miller says, prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. And so prayer is not a a means to an end in itself. Actually, the end is a relationship with God. And that's why this is so important that we all figure this out. So the question is, can we move past all of this and maybe actually even get to the point where we might enjoy prayer? Well, we're in a series called What If Jesus Was Serious? And we're working through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And, and I want you to remember today, the Sermon on the Mount, what this all is all about, the Sermon on the Mount is the description of life in the kingdom. That's what Jesus is teaching. And so in this section today, Jesus teaches us how to pray. And he gives us essentially a framework, a framework that we can use for our prayers. He didn't necessarily mean that we should pray this word for word, although we do and I do, but he was giving us kind of a scaffolding to help us pray. And actually today, uh, we're gonna have a prayer card available for you. It'll be in the chat or you can go to onechapel.com slash prayer and you can find this prayer card and it'll help you pray through the Lord's prayer this week. But here we go in Matthew chapter five, verse five, Matthew chapter six, excuse me, verse five. Here's what it says. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Here it is. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So, Before Jesus teaches us how to pray, he first gives us this little warning. He says, don't be like the hypocrites because they love to be seen by others. And actually, this Greek word for hypocrite, it it really means to be an actor or or maybe more appropriately, someone who wears a mask. So Jesus mentions two scenes here, right? He mentions first the synagogue where these people would go and religious leaders, they'd stand and would perform just to be seen by people. And then he mentions the street corner. Why the corner? Well, because the corner has two intersecting streets, which just means you get more people seeing what you're doing. You get more traffic there. So Jesus says, look, if this is how you pray, then congratulations. People saw you and that's the only reward that you're gonna get. I hope you thoroughly enjoyed it. Dallas Willard says, what they wanted, they got They wanted people to recognize their good deed, and people did. The ego is bloated, and the soul shrivels. To tell you the truth, everybody, this whole series has kind of been the worst. Like, let's teach through the Sermon on the Mount, they said. Oh, it'll be great, they said. It'll be so fun, they said. Well, actually, it hasn't. It's been really convicting for me personally. And so over the course of this week, I've asked myself, do I do this? Do I pray differently in, in, in private than I do in public? And the answer, I think, is yeah. Because when I'm in public, I know that people are evaluating me. I know that people are evaluating my theology. I'm mindful of whether or not they're agreeing with me out loud. Mm, yes, oh, and if they're saying that, I'm thinking, oh, I am crushing this prayer. Or if they're silent, I'm thinking, Boy, I just must not be getting there. It's silly. But in private, honestly, I just kind of talk. 
I'm much more open about my fear and my worries and my doubts and my anxieties. I mean, imagine if I just prayed that way all the time. Dear Lord, I think this message is actually pretty bad and I'm not looking forward to the next 20 minutes. It's gonna be the worst. Well, that may not be so encouraging. Jesus says, here's the deal. If you're praying for, if you're praying for approval from people, that's all you're gonna get. So if Jesus was serious, then we have to value intimacy over attention. We have to think more about our relationship, how connected we are with him, how we're pleasing him, than we do about how people see us. And then Jesus emphasizes this idea in the next two words of his prayer. In Matthew uh, 6, 9, here's what he says. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus begins with our Father. And we get stopped at the very first word of this prayer. He says, our Jesus said, when you pray, say our. He didn't say my or your or their or his or hers. He says, start with our, which means when we approach the Lord, we do so together. You are not alone. We are heirs of God. We are co-heirs with Jesus. We are part of his body and we are part of the church for all the centuries past. That's what happens every time you enter into prayer. So if Jesus was serious, what it means is that we are never alone when we pray. As soon as you start and say, our Father, you are not alone. And the second word of the prayer, Father, it's also incredible. Because Jesus could have said, he could have said Master. He could have said Creator. He could have said Sovereign. He could have said Lord God. He could have said the big boss man in the sky. All true, by the way. Those are all what Jesus is. But he didn't do that. And this word in English, it doesn't even capture it as well as the original language. Because in the original language, this word father, it really kind of means dad. It's like saying daddy. Now, when I pray, I mostly think of God as the all-powerful, all-knowing king of kings and lord of lords, creator of all things, sovereign over all creation. And that's all really good and true. But Jesus says... Come to him as your dad. Come to him as your daddy who loves you. Now, I became a father 14 years ago when my first daughter was born. And I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget the moment that I scooped her up in my arms for the first time. And I looked down and I thought, I will do anything for this child. And my heart melted and I, haven't be the, I have never been the same. Now, here's the thing. I am stronger than all of my kids. You're impressed. I have more experience than my kids. I'm more educated than my kids. I happen to be wiser, I think, than all of my kids. And I provide everything for them. I give them food. I give them shelter. I give them clothes. I'm more powerful than they are. But when they come and they show me affection, I cave. I just melt my heart turns towards them and suddenly I become so vulnerable, like, like it's not even fair. So this is an amazing idea for us. We get to call him dad. It's awesome. But this question has kind of messed me up this week. I know what this idea means for me, but, but what happens in God's heart when we call him father? I know what it does to me with my kids. I melt, I cave, I say, I'll do anything for you. What happens in God's heart when we call him father? I think he's trying to communicate that he feels the same way. So for Jesus, the number one thing he wants you to know about prayer is, is that God is your father. And what he's getting at is what comes to mind when you pray. 
And this thing right here, this will make or break your prayer life. A.W. Tozer said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if you're gonna think of God as the big boss man in the sky, or if you see him as an absentee dad who doesn't really care and he's off doing his own thing, if you see him as a, the mystical energy in the universe, you'll never wanna pray. I mean, who would if you were praying to that? But if you can see God as your father, now it's an entirely different story. So most of you know I have three kids and I think I'm an okay dad. Like I don't mess it up too bad. And usually when I come home at the end of the day, I open the door and I step inside and I typically hear a rumble coming from upstairs. The pitter patter of middle school feet and they run down the stairs. They still do. They run down and they greet me and there's hugs and kisses and, and there's updates about the day and what's happened. And I'll, I'll, I'll take all that as long as I can. I know the day may be coming when that won't happen in the same way. But I'll take it today. And what happens is I, they know that I love them. They know that I'm interested in them. I'm interested in what they're thinking. I like the things that they like. That means I like Lego. It means that I like bows and arrows. It means that I'm interested in art. It means that, that I like to, to, to check out video games. It means that I like animals more than maybe I normally would. And so they know that I like them. And so they seem so far to want to be with me. And so what happens is they feel free to ask me for extravagant things without hesitation. Hey, Dad, can we like go out to eat? And, and then afterwards, maybe we could go grab some dessert. And oh, then we could hit a movie. And hey, then we could go to Disney World tomorrow. Like, can we just do all of these things? No hesitation. My kids are drawn to me because I'm their dad. And they know that I want the best for them. And I'm human and I have lots of issues. You can ask my wife or anybody who knows me well. But Jesus is saying, I'm not like that. And I want you to start praying from this place. I'm not a human father. I'm the perfect father. God is your perfect father. Jesus says, say our father. And that's how he wants you to approach. And he says, go ahead and ask him for whatever you're thinking about because of this. And then really quickly, before we go on to the next section of Jesus' prayer, he says, our father, where? In heaven. Most people hear this and they think of fat baby angels playing harps, sitting on the clouds, listening to the choir, and everybody's really bored. Whatever the picture you, has, you have in your mind, we, see, we typically see heaven as a place. It's out there somewhere. It's far from here. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. As I understand it, this Greek word is plural, and it actually means more like skies, you could think about it and they would hear it like, the original hears, they'd hear it like air. So, so you think about it, our father in the air, like the air that I'm breathing right now, like the air that's here close against my skin, like the air that's all around, that's filling up my lungs and giving me life. That's how close the father is to you. Jesus wants you to know he's a good father and he's right here with you all the time. So Jesus wants you to pray believing that God is your father. So already in this first phrase, man, our, our prayer lives are getting challenged and changed. Then you keep going to verse nine. It says, this then is how you should pray our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Now this word hallowed, it's not a word that we use that much anymore. Now you, you don't say, um, dude, hallowed be that sunset. Did you see it? Or bro, Mandalorian season two trailer came out hallowed be that trailer. Like we, don't, we don't say that because we don't use that word. Hallowed just means, it means set apart. It means holy. And honestly, with holy, we're not exactly sure how to use that word either. But in the original Hebrew, 
It's not just about morality. It is that. Holy means has to do with morality, but, but it also means something that's beautiful and true. So basically, it's saying to God, God, you are without parallel. You are different. You are unique. You are special. And nobody even comes close. So the main point of prayer is not just to come to God and to ask him for your stuff. No, the first movement of the Lord's prayer is all about worship. This is what Jesus is trying to get across to us. Here's what Tim Keller has to say. To hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy toward God. And even more, a wondrous sense of his beauty. Consider how different this is from the normal way we use prayer. We use it to get things. We may believe in God, but our deepest hopes and happiness reside in things as in how successful we are or in our social relationships. We therefore pray mainly when our career or finances are in trouble or when some relationships or social status is in jeopardy. When life is going smoothly and our truest heart treasures seem safe, it does not occur to us to pray. Seldom or never do we spend sustained time adoring and praising God. Like we know God is there, but we tend to see him as a means through which we get things to make us happy. For most of us, he has not become our happiness. And this is the point that we need to get to. And this is how Jesus is trying to set up prayer for us. So Jesus is teaching us to pray. You're my dad and you're close, but I hold you in reverence. I hold you in awe. You are set apart. You are holy. You're my dad, but you're greater than everything and everyone. And this is how Jesus teaches us to begin our prayers. And the order matters. If we can get this part right, if we do, it'll start to transform the way that we pray. In fact, you and me, we might even find that we want to pray. So if Jesus was serious about all of this, we understand that God is both tender and terrific. We understand that we come to him and he's tender and he's close, but he's also terrific in the sense that he's vast and expansive and massive and incredible and all-powerful and all-knowing. Jesus says, approach God in this way. Let's keep going in verse 10. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, pray for God's kingdom to come on the earth. Now, we're not always sure what to make of this idea of kingdom. And actually, it's, it's kind of the reason for this whole series. But the kingdom of God, of course, has come in Jesus. It's here. It's at hand. It's near. Like, it's present but it's also future in that it's still coming in its fullness one day. So we find ourselves in the middle of that. Theologians say we're in the, the now and the not yet. So the second movement of the Lord's prayer is, is God's kingdom come. So if we're going to pray for God's kingdom, we need to know what that means. What does this kingdom look like? Well, it's interesting, as Jesus teaches about the kingdom in the New Testament, he often quotes from the book of Isaiah, from the prophet Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah identifies these 17 verses, these 17 verses that reference the coming Messiah. It talks about the rule and reign of God, 17 verses that point to the kingdom of God. These verses actually point to seven themes. Stay with me. Seven themes are seven signs, themes of the kingdom of God. In other words... This is what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes. And so when you read through that in Isaiah, you find that it kind of looks like this. It looks like salvation. It looks like joy. What does the kingdom look like? It looks like peace. It looks like justice. When the kingdom of God comes, what does it look like? God's presence. It looks like belonging. 
and it looks like healing. So when we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done, it looks like those seven themes. So Jesus says, when you look at your culture and you look at the world around you and you see that these things are lacking in your area, Jesus says, pray that these things would come to your life and to your world. Pray that it'll enter into your community, that the kingdom will enter into your workplace, into your family, into your friendships. Break in to your workplace. Break into your middle school or your high school or your college. Break into your neighborhood. So pray for salvation for your friend and your coworker. That's the kingdom breaking in. You pray for peace for your children as they go to bed at night. That's the kingdom. Pray for justice to break in and heal the division in our country, to heal the racial divide in our country. Pray for belonging to those who feel like they're lonely and anxious, especially right now throughout this pandemic. All of these are just signs of God's kingdom. And when you pray like this, you're praying in line with the kingdom of God coming. And so the third movement then of the Lord's prayer is God's will be done. He said, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Now, if we're honest, most of us typically are praying my will be done on earth as it is in my mind, rather than your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, when you pray, you're saying, I'm not here to convince you to bend your will in my direction. I am here so that you can bend, you can bend my heart, you can bend my mind, you can bend my life towards your will so that I want what you want for my life and for my family, for my friends and for my world. This is so important for us. It's really important. We don't understand when we're praying all the factors that come into play. We never see the full picture of what's going on. We don't have God's vantage point to know what we ought to pray for. And we oftentimes, if we're honest, aren't mature enough to ask God for the right things. So instead we pray, God, let your will be done here. And so through these big ideas, if Jesus was serious What that means for you and me is that we'll want to transform earth and not just try to escape to heaven. Not try to get out out of here, but to bring heaven here to where we are. Listen, everybody, I hope you're getting this because already this should change how and why we pray. It should change how we approach God and why we pray. One of the main ways that God's kingdom comes is through prayer. It's not through our sermons. It's disappointing to me. (laughs) It's not through our hard work. It comes through prayer. And Jesus wants you to know that when you pray, your prayers actually make a difference. When you pray, your prayers change reality. Your your, your prayers bend reality towards God's will. They, They bring heaven down to earth and into every situation that you're praying for. But most of us don't really think that's true. Most of us just think whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And it doesn't really matter. My prayers don't matter and they won't affect the outcome. God's going to do what God's going to do or life's going to end up however life is going to end up. You know, Jesus seems to be saying here, look, when you pray, stuff happens. When you pray, God, let your kingdom come here. Let your will be done here. Stuff happens. What that means is, is that if you don't pray, some stuff doesn't happen. Dallas Willard, he says this about this. God's response to our prayers is not a charade. 
He does not pretend that he's answering our prayer when he's only doing what he was gonna do anyway. Our our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it, as, is, it does, as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. And of course, God doesn't respond to this, and, and you wouldn't either. Listen, everybody, when you pray, you should be excited. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Jesus just told you why. Because, number one, you're never alone. When you pray, you are never by yourself. You're an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus and part of his body. You should be excited because God is your good father and he loves you and he wants to be with you and help you. He cares about you. You should be excited because God is, he's near like the air against your skin. He's close to you. He's not far. And if you feel far from him, the reality is it's probably you and it's not him. When we feel distant from him, it's not him. It's us and something that's disordered in our lives. You should be excited about prayer because nobody compares to him. The all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God of everything. And then you should be excited because your prayers, they really do make a difference. He wants you to pray because it matters. Because he's listening to every prayer and working. Because your prayers bend reality with his will. So these ideas, I think that they unlock a new dimension of prayer for all of us. And think of how different this is from how most people think of prayer. Think of all those things I've just outlined and how different this is from how most people think of prayer. But here's the thing. If we can get this first half of Jesus' prayer right, our hearts, they start to take the right posture. We get ourselves in the right place and then we're ready for the second half of the Lord's prayer, which we'll cover next time. But what I want you to see today is, is that Jesus, he starts with an orientation before intercession. He orients us first before he ever gets to the task of praying. He orients us to who God is. His kingdom comes first in our lives, in our world. His will be done above everything else. And only then does Jesus pray for daily bread, for needs, for forgiveness, and so on. Most of us, we pray in the opposite direction. We come to him with all of our requests and say, God, I want you to do this and I need you to fix this. You gotta make this happen. You gotta show up on this thing. Oh, and oh yeah, and I guess, uh, and I guess also you're pretty awesome and stuff and I praise you and whatever. Most of us pray in that direction. We come with all of our needs and he loves to hear your needs. But we come with all of our needs and we say, God, fix this. And then yeah, maybe I, I don't really have time to hang out today. And, and I, I, gotta, I gotta go, I got stuff to do. That's actually not the Lord's prayer. To me, that sounds more like the American prayer. And that's not the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. He gives us a framework and says, pray our Father in heaven, in the air, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Hey, let's lean into these ideas this week. Would you join me in practicing this this, this week? Like set some time aside and practice. And then next time we'll work through that second half and we'll see that prayer will start to grow in our hearts and then in our church and, and see God's kingdom come here at One Chapel and in our region.
Would you bow your heads? Maybe close your eyes right where you are and take a moment and pray with me. God, I pray for prayer. I pray that you would reveal to us the way that you want us to approach. And I pray that we would begin to be good at it. (laughs) That we would see that you're here, a good loving father, connecting us to, to the body of Christ. That you're here like the air against our skin. That you're incomparable and nobody is like you, Jesus. And that you care about what we're going through. You care about our needs. That we would be able to pray, Father, that your kingdom would come. and That we wouldn't try to build our own. And we pray that your will would be done in every situation rather than trying to impose ourselves and our will on situations. God, I pray for one chapel and everybody that's with us today. Would you teach us to pray? Help this to get in us so we can see more of your kingdom come in our region. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.